Well, good morning and welcome here. It's good to have you here. My name is Luke, and I get to serve as the pastor here. Uh, as many of you are, are probably aware, we had the garage parties last night, and so far from the reports I'm getting, uh, smashing success. And so huge thank you to, to everyone that helped out with that. Um, we had, I know at, at our place, uh, we gave away uh, around 90 stickers and about 130 cups of hot chocolate, and not everyone got a sticker, not everyone got hot chocolate. So I don't, from 6 to 7 was chaos, and from 7 to 8 it toned down to busy. And uh, so uh, other than that, it was great. Joanne was able to go around and visit some of the other places, and uh, she came back with stories of just great decorating, of busy locations, of good food, of good hosts, and uh, so it's just uh, a lot of fun. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who helped out uh, with that one. <laughs> it was, yeah, for, at w the, the costumes were great. Like, at one point, I just had, like, the entire Jedi Council, like, just kind of all, just kind of hanging out by the barbecue. Uh, and then we had some, like, an epic lightsaber duel was going on in my front yard. Um, kind of thought about getting in on that, but anyways. Uh, a couple other announcements. Um, uh, the Central District Conference is next weekend. Joanne and I are going to that, so we'll be gone uh, Thursday to Saturday. Uh, but then next Sunday after that is the Harvest Missions Festival. I'm excited for that. Ricky and Karen Sanchez will be here, will be sharing with us. Ricky and Karen have served for 15 years as missionaries in Thailand. They're a, a pretty dynamic couple, uh, good communicators, and uh, kind of in-demand communicators. Um, I've, they've hosted a number of trek teams, so I've gotten to work with them kind of long distance uh, for several years now, and they're just they're a neat couple. It's going to be a good time. Uh, so next Sunday, though, will be a little bit different format. Just a reminder, we're going to start at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. No Sunday school. We're just going to start at 10 a.m. Um, they'll share a little bit. Uh, when they're done, we'll head over to the fellowship hall. We'll eat around 1145. That's the game plan. We'll, we'll do a meal together. Then they're going to share some more. And then the plan is to be done by 2. So you guys can carry on uh, with the other stuff kind of throughout the day. Um, I, I will be sure to clarify again uh, this again next week. But um, just in regards to offering, uh, you know, in the past, the Harvest Missions Festival has seen a, a pretty remarkable offering come in. Um, this church has, in the past, given upwards of, of $30,000 to conference ministries and to missions. And actually, if you take what is given at the Harvest Missions Festival and you combine it with kind of the, the tithe that, that goes out as a regular part of the budget, all total, this church actually gives away, I, I think it's close to about a quarter of the funds that come through our hands are actually given to other ministries, other agencies, and that kind of thing, which is, uh, folks, that is unique, that is uh, uh, amazing, and so I actually just want to commend the leadership here and the history of the leadership here uh, to really to set that precedent um, in place. That's a, a pretty remarkable thing, so I, I, I don't stand up for that, but I just, I want to commend leadership uh, for, for that kind of character. So, um, but we, we are kind of, we're rearranging it just a little bit though, just, and so in the morning we'll have an offering, that offering will go to the local church, and then in the afternoon we're going to have kind of at the missions banquet, that offering will go towards conference ministries, alright? So for those of you who are showing up with two checks, small check in the morning, big check after lunch, alright? So just got the two checks, you got to put them in at the right time. Um, Christian Ed Team, you guys have a meeting Monday night, 7 p.m. Uh, worship Team, we have a meeting Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. Um, what else? Uh, catering Team, who's doing the Harvest Missions Festival, uh, they're still looking for helpers. Um, so if, you, if you'd be interested in helping, contact Judy Dick. Also, there was, I didn't type it in, someone's looking for tin cans. Bring tin cans. It's in your bulletin. Kids time. They need tin cans. So, bring your own or fill it to the neighbors, however, however that works for you. Um, also, one more thing. The greenhouse, Jason and Nicole Clearing. Um, the church has, uh, um, is pretty excited about this, but we're extending our support uh, for the greenhouse church for another year. So we've committed to doing $1,000 a month for the next year. Uh, now, before I came, there was uh, a 
several of you had, had made commitments to, to support uh, Greenhouse through the church. Your funds are kind of being routed through the church and going to them. And so if you've done that before, we would invite you to continue to do that for another year. We'll, you know, come August 2016, we'll figure out what to do then. But just know that, that we're pretty excited about continuing to walk alongside them, uh, to partner with them on continuing to want to get people over there as much as possible. Of course, have them as much as possible. Uh, they need us, and, and we need them. Uh, they are just uh, in that mentality of, of church planning, of pursuing, of evangelism, of connecting with people. There's just a lot of rich stuff there for us to, to learn, really. And so it's a very uh, kind of mutually beneficial partnership. Plus, you just love them, so that helps. So. I think that's it for announcements. There are other announcements uh, that, that I didn't cover, but they are in your bulletin, so I would encourage pray, and we'll carry on. Heavenly Father, thank you for a good day. God, thank you for a great night last night. Thank you for your blessing, for your protection, for your spirit. Uh, God, thank you for the opportunity to, to get to know neighbors. Thank you for the fun that was had, for the connections that were made. Lord, um, it's, a, it's a delight to honor you, to serve you, to worship you. And uh, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather this morning. We love you, Lord.
Lord, that we might show the world of your love, that your kingdom might come here. Amen.
dive into Ephesians for the last time, uh, Joanne and I want to extend just a, a thank you uh, to this congregation. Uh, this past month has been uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and um, I, we've just been uh, showered with, with cards, with uh, thank you cards, with encouragement cards, with gifts, and uh, we just want to say thank you. Uh, we've really appreciated it. Um, uh, you guys make it fun to serve here. Thank you so much for that. We just, yeah, we've been richly blessed by that. Well, to <laughs> well, today we wrap up Ephesians. Uh, you know, when we first started, I thought maybe this would take us a couple weeks. Um, I think we started in April. I think it was. Uh, so we've been doing this for like seven months. You guys have sat through. Uh, by my calculations, a little over 300 pages of sermon notes, and um, it's been rich. Like, I've, I've loved it. I have learned so much. Hopefully you have, too. Uh, it's been encouraging, convicting, uh, empowering. Uh, it's just been a great time. I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this book with you. Uh, today, we're just going to do kind of a highlight reel. I want to start just from the beginning and just kind of pick out some of the kind of the unique stuff that, that is stood out, at least to me and and hopefully for you. A little bit of a refresher, though, on the book. Uh, It is written by Paul. Paul is generally considered the missionary to the Gentiles. Back then, you had two groups. You had the the Jewish people, you had Israel, and then you had everyone else. And um, it was originally considered that, or they originally thought that the gospel was just for the Jewish people, but Jesus came and made it available to all the world, and this was this great mystery revealed, and uh, it was pretty shocking for the Jewish people at that time. But uh, so Paul was considered a missionary to the Gentiles. Um, it's believed that it was written uh, while uh, Paul was in prison. Um, he was in prison at least three different times, so that really doesn't help us. But the best guess though is that that one time when he was in prison in Rome, uh, like he had a pretty, like uh, yeah, quite the criminal record, and. Um, but anyway, so roughly around 60 A.D., and uh, it was uh, written to the letter um, to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus back then, if, if you picture modern-day Turkey, Ephesus is on the very western edge, on, on the western coast of Turkey. Uh, it was a port city, and so that made it kind of a hub for, for commercial activity and trade. Uh, however, over the years, they cut down all the trees on the hillside, and then it eventually filled in, the port eventually filled up with silt. And so then it eventually just withered as a city. And no modern city was ever built upon it. So you can go today to Ephesus, which apparently is quite far inland because the port was filled up, uh, and see the, the ruins. You know, but it's, you know, some of these ancient cities, you have layers upon layers. Uh, not with Ephesus. Just as it was, only decayed. And so it's kind of unique back then. Back then, it was the religious hub of the day. There was a large temple there, the, the, tar- the Temple of Artemi- um, Artemis. Um, you've perhaps seen pictures of, of the Parthenon. Uh, it was like that, only four times bigger. So it was big. And it was such a religious um, place that it actually served as a bank because it was believed that it was so sacred and so holy, no nation would ever attack it. And so the temple actually served as this massive bank that was able not only to do loans to people, but even like cities and small governments and that kind of thing. Back then it was considered the, the safest place to, to keep your, your money. And, um, and I think they had kind of some unusual religious practices as well, too. Google that sometime. Um, the, the book of Ephesians is unique. Uh, one of the things that makes it so unique is that in many ways it's very generic. Paul, who wrote the book, oftentimes in his letters, he was responding to a particular situation or a crisis or someone's misbehaving or the church is falling apart. And so he would, within his letters, he would include very specific instructions to that church or to that person or to that crisis. And and, and he would write to that and he would include a lot of uh, personal greetings and that kind of thing. Not so with the book of Ephesians. It's it's very generic. Um, Some actually believe that it was intentionally designed to be circulated, that it was intentionally left, uh, that, that kind of all the personal detail was left out 
so that it could be circulated to a variety of different churches, to a variety of different congregations. Um, yeah, so it, it's kind of unique that way. And however, though, in many of Paul's letters, he has a very basic pattern where first he looks at identity and who we are in Christ. And then secondly, he addresses behavior and what it means to, to live out a life of Christ. And as you know, we have been using a, a similar kind of skeletal framework to look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, the first three chapters, what does it mean to be seated in Christ? Chapters 4, 5, and 6, what does it mean to walk in Christ? And then part of chapter 6, what does it mean to stand against the enemy? And I have told you those three words every single time uh, because 20 years from now, I want you to still remember, sit, walk, stand, um, so that if you ever just need to reevaluate identity in Christ or what it means to stand against the enemy, you can be like, yes, Luke said that like 9,000 times, sit, walk, stand, book of Ephesians. So burn it in your eyelids right there. Um, so the first part, as we, as we kind of do this, this highlight reel, Ephesians 1.20 says that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead and he seated him at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. A few verses later, Ephesians 2.6, it says that God the Father, through grace extended through Jesus, raised us up and that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You know, even that word seated is powerful. Um, there's w one of the things that I've so enjoyed going through this is just the depth of some of these words that are chosen. But seated is such a, a rich word be because it conveys so many things. And one of the biggest things that it conveys very simply is rest. To be seated is rest. To be seated in Christ means that we start our relationship from a place of rest. Actually, this is even modeled um, in Genesis at the very beginning. If you look at the creation story, remember that, that, you know, that, that, that story, figurative or literal or whatever, that story, God works for six days, and on the seventh day he rested. Okay, most people remember that. But what a lot of people don't, don't, don't kind of clue into is that man is created on day six, meaning man's first full day of existence was a day of rest with God. So all, all of who humanity is, is designed to start out of a place of rest with God. God did a lot of the work. He got things set up, and then we rest in God. And then out of that place of rest, out of that seventh day of rest, then we begin our work. So that this word rest, rest conveys safety. You don't sit when it's dangerous. You, you don't sit when you're on edge. You only sit when it's safe. Uh, to be seated conveys familiarity. It, it's a place you've been to before. You know it, it, it's familiar to you. And it, and it even conveys, I think, right relationship. It's, it's a place where people are, are at peace with one another, uh, a place where peace exists when you're able to sit to, with one another in, in fellowship. And folks, I, there are audiences today that are so void of rest and of safety and of peace with God, I could stop right there and do a salvation message. These are increasingly rare, kind of novel concepts. Not only physically, but even just spiritually. To be able to begin out of a place of rest. One of the first things Paul then says is that we are adopted. And he uses this as a, as a metaphor for our relationship with God. You know, learning that you're adopted is either this, this amazing gift uh, or it's actually really disheartening. You know, I, I still remember one girl in youth group told her brother the only reason mom and dad kept him was for tax refund purposes. Right? You know, and of course he got grounded, as you probably should. But, you know, I mean, if you, if you think you had rightful sonship or rightful daughtership, then to be told you're adopted is kind of earth-shattering, you know? It's like, ah, oh, what's going on? But if you have known the orphanage, if you have known uncertainty, if even if you have known a, a home that was not a place of peace, if your background is, is a home of verbal abuse or physical abuse or neglect, if you have known these things, then to be adopted, that's a gift. That is a huge gift. One of my coworkers used to tell the story of two 
uh, boys in a Brazilian orphanage uh, who became best buds in the orphanage. And their, their lifelong dream was to be adopted into the same family together. And eventually there was a couple that showed up and, and were connected with the boys and befriended with them. And one of them was adopted w- without, uh, without problem, but there were complications. And, and they were unable to adopt that second boy. And, but over time, there's no way to describe it other than just say that God intervened. And that adoption was able to go through. And, and these two boys in this Brazilian orphanage were able to be adopted into a home together. God cares for the orphan. God cares for the, for the orphan. For us to be adopted means that really all the world is an orphanage. Really. When, when you look around, all the world is an orphanage. So adopted. Uh, the other thing, the other concept that ties in with this, and uh, Paul explains this a little bit later in the book, is, is but where he talks about making one new people group out of the two. About how, you know, there, there used to be this dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, but Jesus comes and he makes one new people group. It doesn't say that he, he combines them. It doesn't say that he adds one to the other. It says that he makes a new people group. And so that's talking about his church and about how, how, how Jesus did this through his, through his death on the cross. So first of all, we are adopted um, under the word what it means to be seated. If you wanted to do a, an acronym, you could do um, ARIS, A-R-I-S. Because uh, the second word is redeemed. Uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses. Redeemed isn't a word that we use a whole lot. I mean, like, maybe you redeem a coupon, but that's not really helpful. Um, the word, though, that, that would be a, a similar word uh, that we would understand a little bit better, though, would be ransomed. That, that we have been res- uh, ransomed. It, it's a similar word. To be redeemed or be ransomed, though... I mean, once again, if, if you kind of follow these words out, to be ransomed means that you are, at least that you were, in captivity. That, that somehow you were being held against your will and that you did not have at your disposal the resources to get you out of that situation. And so for us, we were, we were in the bondage of sin, which we chose. And, and so God comes and he ransoms, ransoms us. He, he, he buys us back um, out of that. Uh, the other thing about just ransomed and, and kind of all the implications, but to be ransomed from sin, to be redeemed from sin, also really speaks to our criminal record. I mean, spiritually, all of us are felons, right? We all have a rap sheet, okay? Church is kind of AA for sinners, you know, just trying to figure things out. So we have been ransomed. We have been bought out of that. And now our, 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 our sheet has been wiped clean. Our record has been wiped clean. So redeemed or ransomed. Third word, inheritance. We've been adopted. We've been redeemed. We have an inheritance. Inheritance tells us, first of all, that, that there are riches bestowed upon you. But it also conveys that those riches were bestowed upon you only at the time of someone's death. When Christ died, riches were made available to bestow upon you. The other thing about inheritance that it conveys, though, is that, you know, with an inheritance, you choose who who the recipients are. And so for for God to say that that we receive an inheritance means that he intentionally planned out, articulated, wrote out, thought through carefully what things he was going to bestow upon us and that that transfer at at the death of Jesus. According to Scripture, believers inherit the kingdom of God, uh, the earth or the land, salvation, glory, incorruption, the Holy Spirit, eternal life, God himself. So not only are we bought out of prison, but in addition to that, we are adopted as children, and as part of that, we are given an inheritance. The other interesting thing around inheritance, though, is that it also says that for God, we are his inheritance, which speaks volumes of how he values us, that for him, the thing that he gets to receive with joy is us. 
We are his inheritance. Fourth word, sealed. Uh, Verse 13, in him also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know, if I put a lock on something, that, that, is, that is putting my, my faith, my trust, in an expression of force. And I am trusting that the strength of the lock is greater than the force of, like, the crowbar or whatever it is. But everything is based around force. But a seal, it speaks of ownership. It speaks of authority. And it also speaks of force. I can have a briefcase, put a lock on it. You break it open, read what's in the briefcase, no big deal. Or I can leave those pieces of paper out in the open with just a tiny little disclaimer that if you read this, the CIA is going to hunt you down and put you in prison for like 50 years. Well, we're not going to touch it. Because the seal is far more powerful than, than the lock. The seal conveys authority, it represents a higher power, and it speaks of ownership. You weren't locked away in the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit, who incidentally is a living being. So that's kind of a big deal too. So to be seated means that you are adopted, that all the world is an orphanage and that he loves you dearly and he adopted you into his family without you earning it. To be seated means that you are redeemed or that you are ransomed, that you were in prison, in slavery. Jesus paid the price, and now you have an inheritance. God is so wealthy that he loves to give, and so he gives to you generously and expects you to give others to others generously. And, and, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Walk. Starting in, verse, or in chapter 4, Paul talks about walk and what does it mean to, to walk. There was, um, th- there's actually, within kind of the section about walking, there's actually three different things. And they're all tied back to the Holy Spirit. And I actually didn't realize this until this last week. But in Ephesians 4, 3, it says that we are to walk in the unity of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, it says we are to walk without grieving the Holy Spirit. And then in 5, 18, it says that our walk is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So it talks about with, with, with what is it, you know, the unity of, of the Spirit. Now probably one of the simplest metaphors, very simply, is that we are a team. We all share a common goal. We all share a common objective. But we bring different strengths. We, we, we have different roles. You know, in football, someone throws the ball. Someone catches the ball. A whole bunch of people block and get in everyone else's way, right? But when the one guy makes the goal, everyone cheers because everyone was a part of that effort and everyone understands that they contributed to that and everyone understands from the very beginning that that's what they're trying to accomplish. We're a team. We, I mean, our, our goal is to know God and to make him known, to be disciples who make disciples. And so we work collectively as a unit towards that end. Paul names a couple different characteristics under unity of the Holy Spirit. He talks about humility. My favorite definition of humility is simply to be God-dependent. I don't believe humility is being shy and bashful. Because Moses says about himself that he was the most humble man on all the earth. Kind of odd to say about yourself that you're the most humble man. I mean... The only way that fits is that if humility means dependence upon God. Because then it makes a lot of sense for Moses to say, I am a God-dependent man because I got a lot of responsibility coming my way. Paul speaks of humility. He he speaks of gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. If you're weak, there's no need to be gentle because you're not a threat to anyone. It's only when you have strength that you need gentleness. So to be gentleness is not a call to weakness. Gentleness is still a call for strength, but but strength that's under control. 
and, and, and apportionment's different. For me, gentleness looks different with Levi versus Micah versus Kate. It's a different kind of gentleness. Paul also names patience. For a long time, I just thought patience was just high endurance and waiting or putting up with annoying people. But actually, according to Scripture, patience is more associated with steadfastness and the endurance of suffering. That might be annoying people, but I'm joking. So patience is a steadfastness, steadfastness in, in enduring suffering or a reluctance to avenge wrong. And also this under this section, he talks about spiritual gifts, and we spend a good time on that. What I would simply remind you, though, is that when it comes to spiritual gifts, every believer has one. And every spiritual gift is not for you, it's for someone else. When you look at all the spiritual gifts and you, and you identify the beneficiaries, the beneficiary of each spiritual gift is not the person who has it, but other people around him. So when it comes to spiritual gifts, all of you have one, and it is for blessing, serving, leading, helping out someone else. Not yourself. There's no spiritual gift of like, get rich or be good looking or something like that right it's always the beneficiary of someone else secondly under walk walk without grieving the holy spirit uh grieve is another one of those words it's just a fantastic depth um perhaps you remember this analogy i'm going to use it again though but if you stole your father's car and you wrecked it your father would be deeply grieved if you stole a stranger's car and wrecked it the stranger would be deeply angered. The difference between the two is that the father's love is, or the father's anger is tempered by love. The father is still upset, maybe even more than the stranger, okay? But when it comes to the stranger, his anger has no filter. It's just pure, straight, unfiltered, unaffected anger. But with the dad, it's tempered by love. It's altered by love. It's filtered by love. And so when you when you sin against dad in that way, yeah, he's angry, but more than that, he's grieved. And when we sin, that is actually a direct affront to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's hurt, who's wounded, who's affected. And so for when it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, not only is it saying, you know, do, you know don't sin against the Holy Spirit, but it's really saying that when you do, the Holy Spirit is grieved. Not just angered, but grieved because of the deep love that the Holy Spirit has for us. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The other thing about grief, too, is that it redirects the anger and it shifts the focus from the person to the action. The stranger will be mad at you. The dad will be mad at what you have done. And so when we grieve the Holy Spirit, there's not anger directed at us. But there is anger and frustration at, at what we have done. So do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Third, we're, in, we're, we're told to when, to, um, when we walk, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, and then he goes through, and this is all tied back to grammar, which is interesting. Uh, it gets a bit lost in the English, but, but in the Greek, there are these four participles that are all linked to be filled and that to be filled with one another first of all means that we speak to one another with psalms hymns and spiritual songs doesn't mean our life is a broadway musical but to speak to one another with psalms hymns spiritual songs means we, we speak to one another we, we share scripture with one another we share an encouraging word with one another we, we share a worship video that was particularly powerful and that we think would be powerful for that individual so to be filled with the Holy Spirit talks about how we speak to one another. Secondly, it says we sing and we make melody to the Lord in our hearts. And so to be filled with the Holy Spirit speaks that worshipfulness within us, in our thoughts. What's in our thoughts? What's in our minds? What is it that we dwell on? What is it that we think on? Thirdly, to be filled with the Spirit means that we give thanks to God the Father for everything. Be known for the person of, of, uh, who is full of gratitude. Be known as the person filled with optimism. Be known for the, the person who can find hope in the situation. 
And then fourthly, to be filled with the Holy Spirit uh, is to commit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then Paul carries on and gives a number of examples. But all of us are in submission in some capacity, in some way to someone. And in those examples of submission, we see that one party is asked to submit and the other party is always asked to lead in a loving, caring way that, that thinks of the person that they are leading first as kind of a servant leader. And Paul wraps up with stand, to stand against the enemy. Our enemy is the kingdom of Satan and any idea or argument that sets itself against the kingdom of God. Second uh, Corinthians uh, he writes, for though we live in the world, we do not wage world as the war does. Rather, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God. So that's what we wage war against. And then also in Ephesians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul just goes through and he just names different, I don't know, realms, kingdoms, layers. So the kingdom of darkness, the Satan's kingdom. He says we wrestle against all of that. And wrestle is such a vivid word. I mean, you box with your hands, but you wrestle with your entire body. To wrestle conveys it's just, it's all of you. And it's just, it's nitty-gritty, it's close quarters, it's exhausting. But we wrestle against these things. Satan is called uh, the devil, which means accuser. He's called Satan, which means adversary. He's also called the tempter, the murderer, the liar. He's compared to a lion, he's compared to a serpent, an angel of, of light who deceives us, as well as the god of this age. But I believe that those descriptions are not just for Satan, but actually his entire kingdom. Remember, Satan is just one dude, all right? And he is not omnipresent. I don't know where he is at the moment. But I do know that at this moment, he can only occupy a single space, all right? But he has a group, a cohort, a kingdom, other henchmen. And so we, we wrestle against that, that kingdom. And to do so, we... We take up the armor of God. In the Greek, there's two different words for take. We are to take up shield of faith, shoes of readiness, belt of truth, um, breastplate of righteousness. That word in Greek, take, means that we pick up, that we put on. But then it says we take the helmet of salvation and we take the, the, the word of the Lord. That word in Greek means to receive, to welcome. It means that someone is handing it to you, someone is offering it to you, and you just receive it. So when it comes to salvation and when it comes to the word of the Lord, we simply receive it. When it comes to righteousness, when it comes to truth, when it comes to readiness, when it comes to faith, there is more of a personal element where we take up those things. And remember, on, on the armor of God, don't get lost in the analogy. This isn't about shields and swords and shoes. It's about righteousness and faith and readiness and receiving salvation and receiving the, the word of the Lord. You know, depending on what clock you're looking at, I'm supposed to preach to like either 1130 or 1230. So... I was kind of excited about 1230. We'll see. Uh, one of the last things that Paul talks about is prayer and praying at all times. And this is what we had covered just last week. Um, but the difference, and there are a whole host of prayers that are, are, are spoken of in Scripture. Some are specifically named different kinds of prayer, and some are, some are described. And the thing that we talked about was authoritative prayer and what does that look like. And how an intercessory prayer is, it's spoken to God. And it's a request. And, you know, we're saying, dear Jesus, will you please? But we also see modeled by Jesus and, and by the early church, times where they used authority. And authoritative prayer is, is it's a command uh, where you're asserting, you're, you're declaring. And so when someone is sick, we, we use both in the hopes that one of them will work. And maybe we give them a Tylenol. 
They say, dear Jesus, would you please heal them? And in the name of Jesus, we speak to this illness and we say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Sometimes one works, sometimes the other works. Um, I don't know, but it's just, it's part of that equipping uh, to be able to respond to all things in all times. I believe that the order that Paul went through these is very important. Uh, In one of my leadership books that I read once, he said that every leader that God wishes to use, first he runs through the desert. Moses had his 40 years in the desert. Jesus had his 40 days of fasting. Even Paul, if you look at his life, spent a fair bit of time uh, in the desert studying before he he entered full-time ministry. And I believe it's because God is first and foremost interested in your character and your relationship with him than your service and the acts and the things that you do. And so Paul exhibits disproportionately most of the book on what does it mean to be seated in Christ. Because everything else builds off of that, and frankly, everything else is useless until you understand that. And I don't care how long you have been a Christian, if you have not yet learned what it means to be seated in Christ, then walking and standing is frankly going to be an exercise in frustration. It all starts with that seated in Christ. You know, we have looked at some amazing things in Ephesians. And some of it, much to my surprise, has been connected with grammar and the beauty of words and their depth and their meaning. But the point is not to be enamored with a piece of literature. The point is to be enamored with the author behind it. As beautiful as Scripture is, it's not that we're trying to fall in love with Scripture, but rather we're trying to fall in love with Jesus and be more connected with with God the Father. We were sinners separated by God. And part of that was our sin, our doing, our choosing. And the consequences of that are not good. But our, our, it was impossible for us to, to work our way towards God until he comes to us. He dies on the cross for our behalf. And he says, free gift, because it's impossible that you could have earned it. Free gift, if you're willing to accept it. And so we enter into covenant relationship with him. And we don't just give him our sin and our garbage and our pain and our hurts, but we give him our life, right? It's easy to give sin your gar- or it's easy to give God your sin and your garbage. It's a little bit harder to give him your whole life. But that's what we do. And we know God, and then we spend the rest of our life just knowing God and making God known. Amen. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. And Lord, as eternal as scripture is, I believe that that our purpose, though, is to lead you to you and into right relationship with you. Lord, all of us can grow in that in some capacity, and I ask that you would teach each one of us. Lord, where do we need to grow in in what it means to be seated in you. Where where do we need to grow in walking in this world or standing against the enemy? Lord, for those who who are listening, whether here or or on on radio or internet, Lord, who who don't yet know you, we pray for them. We pray that that they would be willing to enter into covenant relationship with you. We command those blinders to be removed in the name of Jesus, that they would see clearly the gift that you are offering to them, Lord. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room, that I would see them in heaven, that one of us would welcome the other one at some day in heaven. And Heavenly Father, in addition to knowing you personally, individually and corporately as a church, we want to make you known to those around us, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our community. We want to see you glorified. We want to see you honored. We want to see others spend eternity with you. Thank you for the gift and the opportunity of partnering with you to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's celebrate our Savior's love for us. Would you stand as we sing hymns three, seven, five? 
Thank you.